A reading of the 10th chapter from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans 10, beginning with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in order that you all will say that I have beautiful feet, and I really do. I have good news for you. We don't have to seek our own salvation. We do not have to find our own solution for sin and death. We don't have to find the way to wrestle ourselves out of its shame. We don't have to muster up the strength to drag ourselves out of its shadow. We don't have to come to some Herculean effort to relieve ourselves of the fear of dying. We don't have to wrestle ourselves out of the jaws of destruction. We don't have to climb up into heaven and bring Christ down for Christ has already come, Paul says, for us. To do what we might think we have to do ourselves. 
Christ has come, taught us, suffered for us and died for us. And we don't have to go down into hell and bring Christ up. We don't have to go down into the realm of the dead and wrestle Christ from death's clutches for Christ has been freed already. We don't have to raise him up for our own sake. Christ has already been raised. His purpose proven and made clear. Death has been defeated. His suffering has been redeemed. His teaching has been affirmed. If you ever wonder, how can I read the Sermon on the Mount and accept that it's a way to live in this day and age? Remember that what we are all hoping for right now is to be wrestled out of the threat of death of a pandemic. And Jesus' teachings can wrestle us out of the fear of anything this world can bring to us. For Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. His death has been turned into victory. Paul says he is the telos of the law. Telos is a Greek word that means end, fulfillment, completement. So like if your kid says to you, I'm going to go to the store and buy such and such, you might ask to what end? What is your purpose? And Christ's purpose was to fulfill the requirements of the law because God knew that we could not. And that has been Paul's story to us as we have gone through Romans the last few weeks, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that we are all guilty of sin and that we all need to be freed from it. And the good news is that the work of being freed is not ours to do. We don't have to cut our own shackles off. I watched a movie this week that I like a lot. It's 310 to Yuma. Any of y'all seen that? One person, two people. Rest of y'all need to get on your direct TV and find that movie. It's got some great lines in it. One of them, the, the villain hero in the movie is a bad guy. And the, one of the Pinkertons is talking bad about his mama. So he throws him over the cliff and said, even bad men love their mamas. That's a great line. There's another scene in it where he gets away from his captors and he's running away. And you might think, oh, he's gotten free. He's gotten free. But then you see him go into the tent of a Chinese woman begging her to knock the shackles off of his wrists. He can move about freely and go wherever he wants, but he's not really free in the same way it is for us. We can go wherever we want when we are in sin. We can go wherever we please. We can do whatever we think we might want to do. But we are still chained to the cinder block of sin and death. To the fear of death and to the destruction that sin brings in the world. And if you don't believe that sin brings destruction into the world, take a long look at the drug epidemic. The sin of people who are making millions off of pushing things that they know are poisonous. The sins of those who steal it, manufacture it illegally and give it to our children. The sins of those who bring the things and distribute them. I was in a meeting one time at DSS when we were being certified for foster care and I heard somebody say it's a victimless crime. And the DSS worker said, you haven't seen the children I've seen. Think about all the things that we do that we think speak of our freedom that harm others. 
Paul would remind us that our freedom is not meant for us to do whatever we want. Our freedom is meant to give us the liberty to choose to be enslaved to Christ and to live in his righteousness. How do we get there? We don't have to go up into heaven and bring it down. We don't have to go into the dead and bring it up. It's been done already. Christ has become our righteousness. To make us righteous, to free us from our struggles and our anxieties, we no longer must strive to be perfect before God. We no longer must strive to be perfect before others in fear that we will be rejected. For we know that we have been accepted by the one who truly matters. We no longer have to wonder if grace is sufficient. We no longer have to wonder if we are sufficient. For God's grace redeems all things. And God's grace is greater than our sin. And if we are in Christ, then we are being perfected in the grace of God. And as Paul said a couple weeks ago, we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Who loved to the point of giving himself for us. We are being conformed into the likeness of one who loved so much that it was impossible for him to sin. If we get in touch with that idea, we will realize that the example of Christ's life can lead us to reject some things simply because they might harm others. We don't have to move heaven and earth to be freed from sin and death. We don't have to move heaven and earth to be saved. And that's what Paul means by saved. To be set free from the shackles of sin and death. To be set free from our slavery to it and the fear of it. Paul is working from Moses is writing to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 30 where he tells them, Today I set before you a choice, life or death. Live in the ways that God has asked you to live and you will have life. Live otherwise and you will die. In a sense, you can almost hear Moses saying, choose wisely. We aren't being asked to make those same kind of choices today. We're not being asked to choose some Herculean task of being perfect when we leave here or perfect this week. I haven't had a perfect day in my entire life. I can't imagine what it would be to have one say, unless you are perfect today, God will reject you. So what Paul says to us truly is good news. We do not have to move heaven and earth. Simply trust. Simply trust that the promise of God in Christ is true. This is what he says, dear ones. We're simply asked to believe on the one who is the intersection of heaven and earth. The one who is God in the flesh. The one who was the son of man and the son of God. The one who died and was raised. The one who beckons us to be raised up out of our lives of death. 
Can you trust Him? Can you make the choice to choose to trust Jesus to save you? Some people are task-driven. I'm a task-driven person. If you want something done, just tell me we need to get this done and I'll get it done. Task-driven all the way. And some people approach their life with God that way. They feel like they have to do everything right and perfect so that God will accept them. And if that's you, I have good news for you. You can lay that burden down. Because what God wants from you is to trust what Christ has done. To trust the work that Jesus has done for you. To trust the free gift that is eternal life. That through his death for you and through his being raised for you, that God can wrestle you out of the jaws of death. So dear ones, does he not deserve our love and commitment? What do you think? Knowing what you know about what Christ has done for you, does he deserve your trust? Does he deserve to be the one that you perk first in your life? Does he deserve your belief and trust? Is he worth living for? Does he deserve our thanks and our praise? Because we're not asked to do anything to be saved, but we are asked to allow God to transform us so what it means to be delivered from sin and death can be visible to others. Story is told about a kid who was standing in a street one day with a mirror and he was standing and angling the sunlight into a window at a house. And some woman probably named Karen or something like that. And how the kids say it. Some woman stops and what you doing? Shining that lightning in people's house. And the little boy said, that's my house. That's my brother's room. He's a paraplegic. He can't go outside. And I'm shining some sunlight into his bedroom. The only thing that Paul says in this text about finding salvation is be prepared to live in it. And acknowledge that what we have is a free gift that other people need to be told about. I want to invite you to hear that part. Please listen carefully. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and profess with their lips that Jesus was Lord, Paul says, are, are without question people who will be delivered from sin and death. There is no condemnation for them, Paul said in Romans 8. None. And then he says, but how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear unless you tell? And how can people tell unless they're equipped to tell? Unless they are sent. So dear ones, today on this day when we've seen the fruit of our work as a church, when we've seen young people who mirror the life of Christ in the world, when we've seen young people who are willing to stand and admit their faith in front of their peers and be who they are, 
when we've seen young people who have made a confession with their lips that Christ is Lord, when we've seen young people who have gone into homes that many of us would be afraid to spend an hour in and crawled around in the basements and crawl spaces and on the roofs of those houses and sweated and cried with the homeowners and seen how their lives have transformed the lives of others, having seen that, Can we not grab a glimpse of how important it is to tell others that it's possible? That by believing that Christ has been raised from the dead and then therefore death no longer has say over us and sin need not be our king anymore. But having seen the power of that, of that in the lives of young people, and hopefully seeing the power of that in our own lives. Can we not be encouraged to tell others about this amazing grace that we have seen at work in front of us? This is the only thing Paul says is asked of us. That we tell others. That we tell others. That's not nearly a Herculean task and it's not even a work. It's simply being who Christ was. It's being conformed in his likeness. So I have good news for you. If you've been wrestling to live a perfect life and earn God's acceptance for you, you can quit. Instead, believe that God accepts you and trust what Christ has done for you. His death and his resurrection. And make the decision to serve him as your Lord. Make him number one. Let him reign over your life. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And then your purpose will be to tell others. To go out into the world and use the mirror of Christ to shine light into the bedrooms of those who are suffering. It's a beautiful picture of the life of the church and an amazing reminder of what God has done for us. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And I offer you now a chance to profess with your lips your own faith in Christ and your commitment to him as, as Lord. We confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Dear ones, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved.